The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, crazy late win for Chelsea. Viv Stenius keep Arsenal top. And City say we're up for a fight. It's Lindsay Hooper here with Kate Borsay alongside Chelsea Centurion and former Lioness Claire Rafferty. Raff, we've not had you on for a little bit. How are you doing? Hello, very well. Thank you very much. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We're, we're muted on our celebrations, similar to, I think, during your playing career compared <laughs> to Sam Kerr. Although I would like to know a celebration you did do that you remember well. I didn't dare whip my top off. Let's just leave it at that. I think most of the time I was quite surprised when I scored. So it'd either be a, a shocked face or just a fist pump in the air. Um, but yeah, there, there was no dancing, you know, no no kind of free freestyle, no top whipping off. Um, yeah, mainly just shock, to be honest. <laughs> Do you think this might start a craze? Well, I mean, it, it was it was wasn't it the old um, the World Cup when the American it was Brandy Chastain, wasn't it? Twenty odd years ago now, and it immediately made me thought of that. It's forever going to be known as Sam Kerr sports bra moment. Yes, just, that's the one. Hashtag. Just Sam, yes, um, rather than Sam Kerr wonder bra, even though it was a wonder goal. Uh, <laughs> Sam Kerr sports bra is the moment that we christen it as. Yeah. You know what, I think um, in that moment, it just shows how, how much that goal meant to it, doesn't it? I think the passion, ripping it off. I think commercially, that would be a great shout. Well, it has been a dramatic week for your former club, Chelsea, Raf. Uh, their Russian owner, Roman Abramovich, was sanctioned by the UK government because of the war in Ukraine. And we'll get into all of that in just a bit. Uh, but football must go on. So first up, let's take a look at the match action in our moments of the WSL with now. Moments of the Women's Super League with Now. Watch the big moments from the WSL Live with a Now Sports membership. For the first time in a month, we had a full suite of WSL matches. There was a weird winner and a black Stenius brace. But for my moment of the WSL with Now, I've gone for the second goal from Arsenal against Brighton and the very cheeky nutmeg from Viv Miedemar to set up Beth Mead for that goal. I could not believe it. I felt like she'd run out of space, but oh no, Viv steps up, produces the goods, a little poke through the legs to Mead and she couldn't believe that she'd just got the goal bearing down on her. So um, it was brilliant goal from Mead as well to finish off well, but it was all about the build-up that one. Kate, how about you? There were so many good Viv Miedemar moments in that game, weren't there, Linz? And you're right to choose that one. I've gone, though, for the Alessia Russo goal for Manchester United in their win over Reading. Not just the goal, really. It was the final goal for United in their win. But it was also the fact that uh, Russo was very much the engine of the team in that game. Uh, she hit the crossbar in the first few seconds. She set up Leah Galton for her second too. And there was so much that was so good about Russo's performance, um, really, really pushing United forward keeping their electric pace that they had. Raf, what about yours? So I've gone for the Everton versus Leicester game, that crucial 3-2 win to Everton. The equaliser for me from Tony Duggan uh, was something that really uh, inspired the comeback. So I think that was a pivotal moment in the game. And the goal itself was was 
pretty decent as well from Tony Dog. And the pressure paid off um, when she rounded Sophie Harris in the Leicester goal. And I think that um, really lifted their season. So those were our choices. You can agree with us. You can disagree if you like. We'd love to hear from you on social media channels at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. Let's get into the action. You can stream the biggest moments of the Women's Super League with now. Watch all the live Sky Sports action from Kingsmeadow next Wednesday as Chelsea look to heap the pressure on Arsenal when the Blues face Spurs. You can watch it all for just £20 a month for nine months by grabbing a Now Sports membership. To find out more, search Now Sports or visit nowtv.com. So first up in Chelsea's first home game since the club's Russian owner Roman Abramovich had his assets frozen, they faced Aston Villa. When the 90 minutes were up, it looked like Villa might have seriously dented Chelsea's title hopes with a nil-nil draw. But two minutes into stoppage time, Sam Kerr brought down a long ball from keeper Zachira Musevic and flicked the bouncing ball over keeper Hannah Hampton for the win. She took off her shirt and swung it around as Emma Hayes ran down the touchline to celebrate with the players. After the week Chelsea have had, that's how much it meant to them. A fantastic scoreline in the end for Chelsea, Raf, first of all. Should they have left it this late, though? They were missing key players, but why did it have to get down to this extra time piece of drama to seal the win? Yeah, I think, you know what, sometimes you don't have to play play pretty to win a game and it just showcases the desire. And I think the situation that the club's in at the moment is quite a lot of spirit and endeavour there. But look, they they created plenty of chances, but they just were lacking that cutting edge um, in in the final third. I think, uh, you know, she had plenty of opportunities. I just think obviously Frank Kirby being out, Bethingham coming in, it was great to see her start. Um, they just looked a little bit disjointed and you have to give credit to Villa I think they were really dog- dogged actually um, in defence and yeah so fair play for them holding Chelsea off for so long When it is a late winner like that and I've spoken to players before there tends to be a handing over to the next match from that that you gain some confidence momentum because it happens so late is it something that's fresher in the muscle memory? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think you, you kind of bounce back. Games come so thick and fast that you just take the, the last moment of the game, the the emotions that came with it, uh, and then you lead that into the next game. But I think because of the situation, you know, every point being so uh, critical to to make sure they get the maximum out of every single game, it, it I think every game from now on is going to be have that heightened sense of emotion. And it's also important not to get too exhausted by their emotions because, you know, you can. I'm sure they didn't sleep after that game because of the buzz you get from, from that. And, and I think, yeah, I think the whole emotion that's surrounding the club at the moment, it will drive them on and... Yeah, I, I think they'll be buzzing, wouldn't they? I think going in at that full time, there'd be a, a lot more singing and dancing, I think. Where's your head at with the title race then, Raf? Chelsea need to win all their games in order to overtake Arsenal. That's if Arsenal keep winning all their games as well. Uh, so Chelsea, five points behind Arsenal at the moment with two games in hand. It's going to go right down to the wire, I think, which is so exciting for all of us. We sort of know where your allegiances lie, but if you had to put your neutral hat on... Who's got the harder job here? I think I think Chelsea have the harder job, actually. And I think so because of the situation surrounding the club. I think there's lots of changing movements. I think actually the um, when we're talking about informed teams, um, I think Arsenal are performing a little bit better, a little bit more cohesive. And I think, you know, you say being the underdog is sometimes a bit easier, but actually the pressure is on for Chelsea because they're, they're current champions. They're not underdogs, are they, really? They should be winning. They should be up there. And I, I think um, the way Arsenal are playing at the moment is quite difficult to stop them scoring. 
and Chelsea are struggling to score. So goal difference is going to be key. So yeah, I've, I've, I just have not, I don't have a good feeling from a, from Chelsea. Bit. I think they, they can do it. They'll go down to the end, but I can't put my, <laughs> my finger on who's going to win right now. Uh, next time I see Carla Ward, I want to give her a hug. Did you see this comment post-match after that that blow of the late goal? She said, it's like that moment you find out you've been cheated on. Your whole <laughs> oh, stomach oh. drops. <laughs> Hopefully we all can't relate to this, but she says the players were sensational. They were brilliant in that game. I mean, Villa, really, when you look at it in the table position, Raf, they, they haven't really got all that much that they need to play for now, but they gave Chelsea a real good fight. You, you know, you'd think that they're safe now. So part yeah. of them in that beach mentality. I, I think they can take a lot of positives from that game. I think obviously it hit them hard, you know, conceding that late on. They've, they've worked so hard for 90 plus minutes. The energy they've expended and the dedication and commitment to defending because they were defending quite a lot of the game. I think it's something that she can build on. And that's at the moment probably the situation she's in. She's, she is relatively safe right now. And I think that if they keep building and you know, competing against the best teams at the, at the top of the table, then it kind of puts them in good stead looking forward to the future seasons. Yeah, Villa had chances as well. Remy Allen hit the post. Uh, Hannah Hampton, though, was one of the standout players for me. She really kept her side in the game. A double save at one point from Kerr and Wrighton. She was absolutely brilliant. Raph, we do need to talk about the sanctions on Abramovich and the impact that they've had. Uh, the full extent of what this means for Chelsea women isn't clear yet, but the government's issued a special licence so that matches can be played, staff will be paid and existing ticket holders can attend matches. I think it's fair of me to ask how you feel about this situation. No one really expected it. It has come from left field and it's fair enough to some extent, but of course it affects so many people who, of course, have had nothing to do with Roman Abramovich's past dealings with Russia or with Vladimir Putin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite conflicting, really, because it's the right thing to do at the top level. But then as it filters down and it affects communities and people's jobs, you know, we're not just talking about the football players potentially not getting paid. We're talking about all the staff, the staff in the cafe, the canteen, the security, the shops surrounding, you know, the hotel, everything that, that kind of really feeds the economy is has the potential to to be starved and I think that's where it's it's uh, I think it's a little bit unfair but I don't really know how else at the moment they would deal with it and I can't I mean legally I, I don't really know the ins and outs but just from kind of the, the work that I do within Chelsea TV we've we've been we've been our, our stuff has been suspended until further notice so in, in terms of affecting me personally it has directly um mm -hmm. and so and, and that's the same for the players on the pitch you know there's this whole load of uncertainty and then we move on to the actual you know players if you can't um sell players so there's this I think there's four players out of contract at Chelsea big players um who potentially might move and leave for free if they don't um get it resolved so I think the impact it has it just it, it it's like an earthquake isn't it and kind of just filters down through but at the same time it's conflicting because it's it's the right thing to do isn't it the yeah, impact tough one. the impact on the women's team, Raf, hasn't really been discussed enough, in my opinion. We've heard a lot about what can happen in terms of travel and budgets and, and things for the for the men's first team. What we haven't heard is is what ripple effect it could have on the women's team as much. So no new tickets can be sold for matches. We know that Chelsea can't buy or sell players or offer new contracts, which you've alluded to. So those four players yeah. you mentioned that are out of contract this summer include Marin Melder, Yona Anderson, Jiso Yun, and Drew Spence are those players. Yeah, key um, players, yeah, for Chelsea as well. 
scary. Very much so. And, and also, I suppose it, it's that you can't bring in a replacement either. Yeah. So if they do leave, there isn't an, an ability to do that. Uh, the sponsor three, um, which I think you had quite a lot to do with that deal, didn't you? That's temporarily yeah. been suspended. Abramovich has also put the club up for sale. Um, that happened on March the 2nd. We're also told in some reports, and I don't know how much we should believe those, Raf, that the, the club could go into liquidation in as early as 17 days. So... How much of this can we can we believe? How much of it is to be, it needs to be honest? Questions? I don't think anyone really knows what's going on. The sale for me is just something that's key. As soon as it's if it's sold quickly, then um, the avoidance of the liquidation. I think the big thing is the ticket sales that are causing the lack of cash flow. But yeah, I mean, I don't. To be honest, I don't. I think everyone's playing it day by day. I think the sale is is going to be key to uh, moving on. One of the questions that hasn't been answered yet is whether tickets can be given away for free. If that is the case, it wouldn't affect, I suppose, the home the home atmosphere as much if we could get more more fans into King's Meadow between now and the end of the season. Is that what the club will be yeah. wanting? Yeah, I think that's something that um, if, it, if legally it's allowed, then they'll do their utmost to make sure that the stadium is full because especially where the season is going, we need, we need the, the support of the fans. I think you do fear for, for women's football in this situation because almost um, in the past, and I know it's not the case at Chelsea anymore because it's a priority, but I think you do think, you know, what is could could it affect the whole team altogether? You know, if, mm. if, there's, if there's liquidity problems, what goes first? And then, then we go, go back to the whole kind of bigger debate of... of of, of women's sport in general so um I think but I think with Chelsea they'll be doing the utmost to fill that stadium hopefully you're right that they can give away free tickets because they will do Linz, I know you've spoken to Emma Hayes before the West Ham game which was midweek last week she's certainly you know trying to keep her chin up saying that everyone's got to stick together what else did she say to you yeah, she was really wanting a distraction with the football. She just said, you know, the players and I just want 90 minutes of respite because it had been a horrendous day all round, I think, trying to navigate the future of the football club and what it all meant. And of course, that she didn't have all the answers and she thought that it would slowly reveal itself over the next few days. You know, I asked a, a couple of questions that day. It was fresh news. The sanction had come in on Abramovich that day. Um, and so, you know, I spoke to her for the first time, but I think all she's done ever since is answer questions. And I, I think for Chelsea, across the board, you look at Thomas Tuchel and Emma Hayes and they've got two managers who are real assets to that football club. They're, they're front and centre. They're going to answer the questions privately as well. I know that Emma understands that that's the way that it has to be at the moment. I did see a quote after the last game. Uh, we have to stick together. Everybody's against us right now and that is giving us strength. I'm not worried about us. So she doesn't seem to be as worried about the possibility of, of liquidation or or a 10-point deduction. Uh, we're a valuable asset to the football club and I know that internally and I don't expect that to change. Mm. Yeah, interesting words from her there. And of course, she's got the added pressure of being one of the trustees of Chelsea's Charitable Foundation, which is, you know, still now technically in charge of the club. Um, I think she has handled it really well. And I actually think, you know, for that period of time when when they just focus on the game, I can totally understand why she's actually reveling in that, Lindsay. And maybe this will will give Chelsea an extra push towards the title. I think it's one of those things that will either start to seep into psychology and the heads because of futures and the nearer you get to the end of the season, maybe some of those players out of contract or don't know what the future is. It might play a little part 
or it will galvanize and it will bring them together more than ever. And as the weeks unfold, we'll we'll see the effect that that, that will have. Of course, the thing that, that Emma is always keen to point out is that this is nothing, is it? In comparison to what's going on around the world right now and certainly what's going on in Ukraine, football has to be discussed because there's, there's a direct impact on the league right now, but it certainly isn't the top of people's priorities. So yeah, I think that's the way that she'll continue to address the subject. Yes, it's a point well made, Lindsay, and probably a a broader discussion for another day as well. For now, though, in terms of Chelsea, they will need to put all of that to one side because they have got that title race to focus on. Let's continue then with our next game in the WSL Roundup. And it's the team Chelsea are chasing down, Arsenal. They kept their spot at the top of the table with a 3-0 win over Brighton. Central to that were Viv Miedemar and Stina Blackstenius, the WSL's favourite double act right now. Uh, the Jess and Jules of the WSL, maybe. Um, any Bend It Like Beckham fans will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, for the away side's first goal, Miedemar found Caitlin Ford, who crossed the ball in for a one-touch finish from Blackstenius. The second was Miedemar nutmegging a Brighton defender to feed Beth Mead, who finished into the bottom corner. Finally, a Blackstenius header off another Ford cross sealed the 3-0 win, all inside the first half. I'm sure we're going to be crowing, Raph, about how good this Viv-Stenius matchup <laughs> has been. I mean, the fact that, that Viv has dropped so deep at times but has that vision to pick out some of these passes is incredible and it should be one of the things that we focus on but I think it would be unjust in this performance to not also mention Caitlin Ford who's really fought to get a place in that starting 11 she was brilliant I thought and has been since she returned from the Asia Cup and Beth Mead as well who's added another goal to her record yeah, I think Ford for me has been it's almost like reinvented. I think she had a bit of a stop start in and out of the out of the team prior to the Asia Cup as you mentioned, but she's she comes back with with an increased intensity. I think she I don't know whether it is, you know, with Viv playing that deeper role, it allows um her a little bit more spaces in between the lines potentially. But it's like she's got someone key to aim at now. I think Viv, Viv was guilty of dropping deep and with Arsenal had no no one um holding that line higher up the pitch. So with uh, Bextinius in that position, I think it's, it's just working well with, when we're talking about a combination play. Um, and she seems to be thriving, confidence. And then Beth Mead as well. I think she sometimes just doesn't get the credit she deserves with, with some of the, her work rate off the ball. Um, so to see her score was, was great as well. Great for England, isn't it? Seeing Beth Mead do well. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think the pace of what they're doing uh, as well, at the end of the game, Idavel credited... Arsenal's intensity and said that he felt his team played with such intensity that Brighton couldn't handle it. They, they they just couldn't cope with what Arsenal were throwing at them. And that's what that's that's what we saw at the beginning of the season from Arsenal, isn't it? And it's such a good sign, I think, at this stage in the season, Raf, to actually see that happen when sometimes there's sort of five odd games to play, isn't there, for most teams? Yeah. And and some teams will be getting more relaxed towards the end of the season if they're safe. Obviously, that's not the case for Arsenal, but it looks like they're in such good form, so fit yeah. and so fast. They, they, they can't afford to, to, to kind of dwell on any any of the past games. I think, as you said, it's exciting to watch them. It's like they've, they've, they've revamped themselves, the energy. And, and I think Hope Powell actually should be really frustrated with her team because they just were a bit Bit, bit like spectators, to be honest, in that first half. I think you have to credit the intensity, as Adwell said, of, of Arsenal and the way they moved the ball. Um, their intinking play was 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 quite. I mean, I guess if you're defending, it's probably quite easier to spectate. But they were quite passive, and they got punished for it. So I, I, I think Brighton did play into their hands. 
um, and hope Powell will be disappointed with, with their performance. But Arsenal are electric at the moment and they have to be because they've got teams biting at the heels. It could have been so much worse. It's not very often at the end of a match that I see a 3-0 defeat and I'm requesting the losing side's goalkeeper for an interview. But Megan Walsh, for the first 20 minutes, it was like the game of her life. She was just <clears throat> keeping them out. But it could have been 7 or 8 nil at half time. To actually keep the score at 3 nil. I think... You know, the impression I got from Hope Powell post-match um, when I was interviewing her was that they're really going to take something from that. The man- they managed to shut them out for that 45-minute period after after the break. It would have been so easy for heads to drop. Black Stenius, I-, I actually did did her because she was player of the match. I did her alongside Beth Mead. And one of the things that I put to them was just how quickly they've been working together. It's as if they've been in a side for, for years or a couple of seasons and really it's just a couple of months. Does that does that surprise you? Because the, the movement as well, to have that RAF and to be able yeah. to make those runs into the box, you have to know what your teammates are doing. It just looks like they know each other so well. Yeah, I think they're really fortunate because sometimes see players come in, they take a while to adapt. But I think she's playing a position she already knows. She clearly is uh, given a lot of confidence by a manager as well. Um, he allows her freedom and belief to kind of do as she, as she already did. So it's not like she's asked, asked to do different roles. And I think if she looks around at the players she's playing with, it's probably the best team she's played in. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd put my neck on the line and say so with that with that front three. And then obviously at midfield behind her with Kim Little supplying supplying her. So it's um, I'm sure she's just thriving off playing within that team. And sometimes when it's you don't have to think about it, you're on the same wavelength and... It just looks like it's easy, doesn't it? It looks like they're all having fun. What we saw in this game as well, particularly, was vintage Viv, didn't we? Playing further back, but lovely turns, passes, nutmegging. Her footwork was just exceptional. And and we know this is what we get from Viv. Brighton gave her way too much space, by the way, to be able to do this. And perhaps the January signings that Arsenal made might change her mind when it comes to the end of the season and whether she moves on or not. As Jonas pointed out, every single signing in January has really delivered. And sometimes we would single out a club for poor recruitment. So on this occasion, we have to single Arsenal out and say they, they got it right. Yeah. Um, a quick note from this match as well, from a Brighton point of view, Maya Letizier, who scored in the last game for Brighton, um, by playing in this one, she broke the record for most WSL appearances as a teenager with 53, surpassing a now Chelsea player, but from her time at Birmingham City, Jess Carter had had that record previously. So congratulations to Maya as well on that. One for the future. Let's move on now to a crucial victory in the battle for the third Champions League spot as Manchester City beat Tottenham 1-0 away at the Hive. And who better to set up the key goal in the fight for bronze than Lucy Bronze herself? She drove from well inside her own half, outpacing the Spurs defence and passed through Keris Harrop's legs to an unmarked Hayley Rasso. Spurs keeper Becky Spencer got her hands on Rasso's strike, but Caroline Weir was there and bundled in on the rebound. Not pretty, but it did the job. City now only two points off Spurs with a game in hand, Raf. Man United uh, are three points ahead of Spurs. Again, City have turned, haven't they? City have had that turning point in the season and they did what they needed to do against Tottenham. But I have to say, Tottenham didn't make it easy for them. Credit to them, 
for not letting Manchester City go full City on them, if you see what I mean. Yeah, Tottenham are very stubborn. And I think Rianne Skinner's got the, the defensive unit working really well. Becky Spencer, I thought, was great in the first half. She was. Um, some spectacular saves. And I think when she's back in the team, they they do have that added stability to, the, to their spine. But yeah, it wasn't the prettiest game. But I think the way that Man, Man City have turned it around, to be honest, at the beginning of the season, I was just couldn't really recognise them at all. They didn't really have any personality to the game, did they? They didn't seem like they could manage a game out. Um, but they've totally turned it around. Obviously, the key players coming back. But it's not just that. It's the it's now you know they can see the potential. I mean, they, they can can they make that 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 Champions League spot? I think they, numerically they can, right? If, yeah, and yeah. their away form has yeah. been fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you look at that, them and United have been up there in terms of yeah. form teams. And speaking of form, I mean, if you actually, as direct rivals, compare some of the stuff that happened in this match alone, you've got Caroline Weir with five goals in her last four games. So you've got a player that just is lethal right now. You've just got to watch everything she does. She can hit them from long range. Her movement's fantastic and, and also isn't scared of taking players on. And then you look at Spurs and the threat that they have and then you see Rachel Williams coming off in the second half and think oh no uh, they're gonna they're gonna now suffer with that I don't know the latest on that injury and whether she's going to be back quickly or it's going to keep her out for a, a little while but it does feel like things are, are conspiring against Spurs in a way they've had such a great season Rianne Skinner is brilliant as we know but would you say that it's one one too much you know, I wouldn't count them out, but as you said, the the loss of Williams, she's such a leader for them and she's just so dogged, isn't she, in, in her, her, the way she presses. I, I do think that back line for, for Spurs is really solid. I really enjoy Bartchip and um, Zadorsky. I think they, their understanding and the calm they bring has been great. But do they have that cutting edge now that they potentially might be missing um, a striker to actually win games? I think they need to be scoring more goals. They can defend very well, but it's, it is actually the other end that they're lacking that cutting edge. So, and then obviously City are, you know, I think the, the likes of Alex Greenwood, the way that she's powering them balls into into, into their front lines, and and they're just seen a little bit more creative and a little bit more options. So yeah, I think I think you might just be right there. Just to round off this game, City did have a bit of a moan about the pitch at the Hive. Gareth Taylor said it was difficult pitch, which stopped us playing our normal game. And Georgia Stanway said, we can't play the blame game, but the pitch and the conditions have kind of affected us today. That's um, all the first. We should have seen the pictures that we used to play on. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Make That's not just, the first moan about take it. take the win. Take Ollie the Harder, Ali Harder, West Ham, he did the same. He had a moan about it as well. <laughs> I think there, are, there have been a few complaints about the pitch on there. It's not up to standard. It should be better. So No, the but there you go. needs to get on, on to it. Both City and Spurs are chasing to take that third spot off Manchester United, while the Reds helped their own case with a 3-1 win over Reading at the Medeski Stadium. Uh, Leah Galton with a brace in this one. There was an early header from her. Uh, Rachel Rose interception fed Deanne Rose. That saw an equaliser for Reading. Uh, but Galton wrong-footed Grace Maloney for a second. And Russo, who kept her head, she picked up a rebound from Honor Badger's shot, which had crossed the line, by the way, uh, sending in a long-range effort uh, to seal the 3-1 win this was a great display from United from the from the first whistle Raph in terms of seeing that intensity very early on from them I mean that they hit the bar I think after 17 seconds it, it was crazy start but actually in the second half they did they did start to lose their way a bit more 
Yeah, I, I think they do struggle to manage games and be consistent throughout a game. I know there's um, there's swings of momentum in football, but that's one thing I've noticed and has, and has let them down in some of the against some of the better teams this season. But I, I think they're just guilty of making some silly mistakes sometimes. But unfortunately, they have the quality to to get the goals. I think they are quite clinical. I think that Hannah Blundell mistake that gave Reading the opportunity, things like that, just the concentration um, mm-hmm. element of it. Mark Skinner loves to play possession-based football. He loves to get into the heads of the opposition. So I think his team talks in the build-up are, are very detailed. And he has the quality in his team to, to, to win these types of games. Yeah, after the game, he said he was keen to beat the psyche of the team you're playing against. Peak Mark Skinner, we know he likes to talk a good game. And, and actually, it's working for him and it's working for the team. I thought the intensity in this one, you know, like in the Arsenal game, was really, really strong. I have got a bone to pick with Reading about their defence, though, because I think for a team organised by Kelly Chambers, they need to not make as many errors as they did. Leah Galton's goal for Manchester United... There was no challenge on Blundell as well. Galton was given way too much space. So Reading just were not effective at all in pouncing down to prevent that one. For Leah Galton's second goal, the kind of adage play to the whistle counts here because there were calls for offside. I think so many Reading players spent so long waiting for the whistle to blow that they just let Galton go in on goal and score. You know, again, that's just basic stuff that they need to yeah. be sorting out. And for Russo's third goal, well, of course, that came off Badger's rebound. Again, don't stand there thinking what on earth's gone on here. Make sure you're following up the players who are likely to capitalise on that rebound and go for it. So there were just there were so many basic errors here from Reading. I that was, was an unusual very... one, though, because I think they were waiting for the ref to blow and go goal <laughs> across the yeah, line. I, I do think sometimes. Yeah, but basic error. Yeah, you, you like you can't be just watching and waiting for a decision to go in your favour. You, I've, I've been on the pitch a few times where you, where you have done that. You're expecting something, but actually, then that means what you're doing is you're waiting for someone else to to take responsibility of it. Where you should just play until the whistle's blown. Otherwise, it ends up like it did do. At half time in this match, just one thing I wanted to mention: they paid tribute to International Women's Day last week by having some mascots come out, a little parade. It, it was really nice, and especially to be doing this at Reading, Raff. I've got to mention Kelly Chambers and the fact that she's academy manager, she's general manager, of course, the actual manager. She's been physio at times. Wow! I mean, this woman runs the show. I mean, how, how on earth does she do that? Firstly, Reading need to pull their finger out and invest in, in more staff. Because <laughs> Give a few it's people not, some jobs. Yeah. It's not fair. To, you know, how can she fulfill her job properly if she's doing everyone else's? So, yeah, I mean, what a what an amazing woman. Can I play to her? She must be exhausted. Yeah, she's like, yeah, yeah. She's Good. like She's like Mrs. Mrs. Rabbit in Peppa Pig, who basically <laughs> pops up throughout that show and does every job, like famously. <laughs> All right, let's move on and look a little further down the table. Everton seem to have saved their skin in the relegation battle, fighting out a 3-2 win over Leicester City. It was two all at half-time. Anna Anvergaard won the ball from the Foxes to produce Everton's two goals for herself and Tony Duggan, but they were cancelled out by goals from Gemma Perfield and Sam Tierney. In the end, it was Anvergaard, the Swedish international, who won it for the Toffees, flicking on Hannah Benison's cross into the corner of the net. Here we go then with Everton. It's looking a little sunnier for them, Raf. And for me, Anna Anvergaard, easily player of the match. A really, really strong performance from her on Saturday. 
Yeah, I, I think she was really influential. It was really nice to see kind of Everton turning that game around because when they went 1-0 down, I thought, oh, no. Um, I fear for a club with, with such history in the women's game. But, yeah, I think she, she's been fantastic. I think, that, I mean, we're going to talk about it later, but that, that one of them was definitely offside, though. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah. But, I mean, you take anything, won't you? And I think um, Izzy Christensen in the middle of that pitch, I think she's really allowing um, Dali to, to release herself playing more of a 10 role so yeah and also it's really nice to see my good old friend Tony Duggan get on the score sheet oh yeah and I've always said this about Tony I don't know whether you made the same observation when you were playing with her but she always scores a worldie for me uh, it's always a really impressive goal and then the ones which are you know about six yards yeah. out <laughs> it's, like, it's the on. easy ones yeah. I think sometimes you've got too much time you just like panic so yeah, yeah. she loves yeah. to score a worldie sometimes she can be guilty of uh, missing a sitter. She won't mind me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a first home win for Everton under Chris Roberts, a third straight win in all competitions. Let's talk about the winning goal, though, Raf. We need to put this one to rights. I mean, great awareness from Anvacard to flick it into the net, by the way. So credit for that. But the analysis shows that it looks like she's in an offside position when the ball was crossed into the box. Leicester players petitioned the officials. Uh, the club tweeted that the offside flag had been raised. Oh, there was some serious grief over this one. What did you make of it? I think it was offside, definitely. Yeah, women's football, you know, officiating is always debated, isn't it? But I think sometimes when a game moves so quickly, it's hard to call. But I think that was quite clear. She was standing behind the defensive line. I think the phase of play before is what caused the, the goal to be allowed. To be honest, I don't have a clue. I, I would have gone straight up with my flag. I would have gone, yeah, offside. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's why I'm not a referee, clearly. They thought it was. <laughs> Everton have got a tough run in now, though. They've got Man City, Chelsea, Man United and Arsenal all left to face this season. They might actually be very grateful that the offside flag was not <laughs> raised. Uh, finally, Birmingham continued their losing record with a 1-0 defeat to West Ham. Adriana Leon leaped to connect with a Katarina Spitkova corner for the only goal of the game in this one for the away side. It feels like Birmingham are doomed now. Are we putting the nails in? You know what? I think they yeah, unfortunately, I think they, when you look around the squad as well, it's, it's um, you don't see anyone with the ability really to change and, and change a game. And I think when you're playing the likes of West Ham, which is a team, I know West Ham have potentially players with a bit higher quality, but I think they still should be striving to get something from that game, especially the way they're, the way they're positioned in the league. So, yeah, I mean, it's not looking good for them at the moment, unfortunately. There is still some pride left to play for because even if they're resigned to going down, which Carter did say if you polled 100 people now, 99 of them would probably say we are going down. And I think that one person might not have filled in the survey. Um, but it's the, the third lowest total ever for a WSL side at this stage in the season. They don't want that as well. So if they if they can get a few good performances together to take into next season in the championship but also avoid records like that unwanted records that would be a help wouldn't it? Yeah, I think they they you know need to finish the season with with the pride Birmingham have got a deep history in in women's football and if if their fate is is sealed then they need to be preparing for what next season looks like and they'll be wanting to come straight back up with an improved investment and infrastructure surrounding them. So I do, you do still pay for the pride and what that badge represents. Um, there's a lot of players in that team who will mean an awful lot to. 
This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a subscription now for just £1 a month for the next six months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with me, Lindsay Hooper, Kate Borsay and former England and Chelsea defender Claire Rafferty. A few extra bits of news from the week then. First, the FA have issued an apology for a lack of diversity in the video they posted on social media for International Women's Day. 20 of the 22 people in the video were white and the two people from ethnic minorities, Sam Kerr and Charlton's Alicia Sulolo, only featured for a total of about 10 seconds in what was an eight minute video. And a quick shout out as well to Barcelona, who've won their domestic league already in March. Uh, They beat Real Madrid 5-0 in El Clasico with a brace from Ballon d'Or winner Alexia Pateas. And in the States, the NWSL Challenge Cup starts on Friday. That's the tournament before the regular season begins. On Sunday at 1am UK time on Twitch, you can watch the match between the two new teams, San Diego Wave and Angel City. That's the one that Enia Luco is sporting director for. And she was talking to us about... on this very show with famous owners like Serena Williams and Natalie Portman. Coming up this week, there's three rescheduled WSL matches on Wednesday. Everton host Chelsea, another one that Chelsea's got to win, plus Manchester City play Reading and Manchester United travel to West Ham. Then it's on to the FA Cup quarterfinals. Before we get into the matchups, the FA has made an announcement about prize money this week. It's going to increase by almost 10 times to £3 million starting next season. And they've committed to investing a disproportionate amount in the earlier rounds so that clubs further down the pyramid can benefit. That's still more than five times smaller than the men's pop, but it's very much progress. Uh, Raf, what did you think about that announcement? Um, I think it being disproportionately um, spread out is key. I think the, the clubs slow down and the leagues need more help. Um, so the more they can get, the better. So the bigger uh, the bigger the bucket, the more share they can hopefully get. And I think because of the infrastructure of women's football and the grassroots levels, I, I, would, I would be happy for the top clubs to not really get anything and the lower league clubs be funded just because of what it means for the whole sport in general. Well, back to this season's FA Cup with the quarterfinals this weekend. Tier 3 Ipswich Town are the lowest ranked team left in and they host West Ham. And there's matches featuring WSL teams. Man City play Everton and Chelsea face Birmingham City. Plus, it's a trip to Arsenal for Coventry United, who almost face liquidation at Christmas and are now in the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time. What a story. Earlier, I caught up with Coventry United's general manager, Jay Bradford. Natalie Hayden fires Coventry into round five. Coventry racing forward on this left-hand channel. Coming forward still, pressure from West Brom. The ball's hit across and into the back of the net. Great volley from Olivia Ferguson for Coventry. And it's West Brom two, Coventry four. Coventry United progress to the quarterfinals of the Women's FA Cup. Number eight. Number eight is Arsenal. No one has won the FA Cup more than Arsenal. Number three. Number three is Coventry United. Oh my goodness, that's David Goliath, isn't it? It really is. So, Jay, the question's got to be, is this a David and Goliath match for you? Um... 
Possibly not for me, no, because I, I trust my group and I, you know, I know that my staff are great and our prep's been really good, but I think to probably everybody else it is. It's the first time that the club have reached an FA Cup quarterfinal. Does that play heavy on you, the fact that you're making history to get to this point, or do you just have to stay focused on the game in hand? How much chatter has there been around the significance of this? Yeah, no, we've we've been completely focused on on the game itself, not necessarily the occasion. Obviously, before making it through, we we spoke about wanting to make history, and we've done that now. You know, we're we're in the quarterfinal, so it's almost that box has already been ticked for us. So, you know, it's a it's a big occasion for us as a club, but I think one that we're we're really ready for. How do you try and stem that high intensity? Jonas Edebel was talking about this at the weekend. And the fact that Arsenal will go all out and aim to disarm their opposition by just the sheer pace, the sheer intensity of their work rate. How does Coventry try and try and stem that? I think it's difficult. I think it's really <laughs> difficult. Um, I'm going to be honest, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be fitter than us. They've been professional much longer than we have. So that will play its part. But I think what we need to do is, is be organised off the ball but also really enjoy the ball when we have it and, and not just almost set that panic in and give it straight back. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to be comfortable with that pressure that they're going to put on us and, and move the ball quickly, you know, as quickly as we can at our top level. And, and I think we can cause Arsenal problems. You know, there'll be people that probably listen to that as a statement and, and disagree with it. But like I said, I think I know my group better than anybody and I know my staff better than anybody. And, and I trust that we're gonna we're gonna at least ask some questions of them. So knowing your group, as you've said, really important in this one. Who do we need to be looking out for if we're not as familiar with the championship? Give me some rundown on your personnel and and how you might utilize them. I think Lucy Thomas, who's our goalkeeper, she's been in unbelievable form. I think, you know, that the last we're unbeaten in our last four and she's been really crucial to that. She's made some excellent saves in really big moments for us. So, you know, she is, she's a big character in our group. She's a, she's a, a big presence for us. And I think, I think fans will probably enjoy watching her play. I'd probably say another one is our captain, Katie Wilkinson. You know, she's a prolific goal scorer in the championship and, and somebody that, doesn't need many chances in the game to to get on the score sheet. So again, if we you know if we're going to be in the game and create opportunities, they're they're possibly going to come through her. And then you know I look at people like Charlie Escort, Freya Thomas, who play in our midfield, that are high energy, big impact impact players, understand the game very well, have played at other very good full time clubs. You know Charlie's been at Reading. Freya was at Leicester the year they won the league. So there is experience in our team. And I think we need to gather all of that experience and use the likes of Molly Green, who's been at, you know, Liverpool, Everton, Birmingham, and just help each other through through the occasion and, and hope that those big players that have been big players for us, that they can perform at, the, at this next level for us. You are away to Arsenal, so you won't get any of the gate receipts. Is that is that right, do you think, if we're looking at at how that's structured, that a smaller club like you doesn't get any any part of the gate? Yeah, it's frustrating, I think, because, you know, our owner was vocal on Twitter about it. We are going to lose money going to the fixture. And I think a club in a quarterfinal, regardless of, of their financial situation, should 
should leave that game knowing that they've put a sum of money in their pot, whether it be for the next season or, you know, for whatever they're going to spend it on. So I think it's disappointing that that's not going to happen for us, particularly because of the struggles that we had at Christmas. You know, it would have been, it potentially would have, a big payout would have almost erased that heartache that we went through and it would have given us a real boost as a group. Whereas, you know, our new owner, he's he's having to pay money out for us to, to have this big occasion. Yeah. So we know that the prize money is going to be increased tenfold to three million pounds from next season with a disproportionate amount going to clubs in the early rounds, which is to be applauded to. That's what we know so far. But I guess a plea from you as well, Jay, that if a lower ranked team does get further into the competition and is drawn for for an away fixture, that perhaps something can be done about making sure that you're financially compensated for that. Yeah, and I think that's all it needs to be. I think it just needs it needs to be a an understanding that no club is losing money to, yeah. to, to be in the competition. I think that's all clubs actually want. You know, yes, a big payday would be incredible. And I think the new investment is going to help that and it's going to really progress the women's game. It's going to progress the FA Cup and, you know, potentially how serious some teams do take it because do some teams look at it and go, well, we actually don't want to progress because we, we can't afford to progress. You know, so they may put weaker sides out. I don't know, but it's a consideration for some clubs potentially. So anything that's going to enhance the game and is going to make it more competitive and not put clubs under strain, I think is is welcomed by everybody that's involved in the women's game. You mentioned the tough times at Christmas. Uh, you bounce back from the threat of liquidation, but of course you've had a points deduction to take into account as well. Um Where's that left you with your mindset, kind of aside from the FA Cup, really, and back to sort of league matters, your bottom of the championship, four games left, six points behind Watford. But of course, that that points deduction has weighed heavily. How does the club try and make the most of these four games? Um, look, I, I think we can try and stress our situation to people at the time and hope that they understand how everybody felt at that time. But I think if you weren't in it and you weren't at the club as a staff member or a player, I don't think people will understand actually how detrimental that time was to, to people's mental health, physical health, you know, the, the potential long-term impact it's going to have on players and staff that may, we're not going to be aware of right now in the short term. Um, I think it, it's really difficult to sum it up. But what I will say is the group have galvanised themselves. They've pulled themselves through, you know, like I said, we're unbeaten in four. We've taken five points from our last three league games. And we're we're putting ourselves in a position where we're still standing. We could have have taken our 10-point deduction, lay down and said, yeah, this has effectively relegated us. We're just going to prepare for life in the league below. That was not our mentality. Our mentality was... If we can control it, we're going to control it. And if we can affect things, we're going to affect it in a really positive manner. And I think I think that's all we can do as humans. I think we've I think this this group needs huge credit from top to bottom, players, staff, volunteers that have worked really hard to to pull themselves back. Like I say, mentally, it's 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 been mm-hmm. tough, it's been really difficult, more difficult than I think anybody will, will ever understand. So I'm really proud of everybody that's involved at the club and obviously really thankful to Lewis that 
that came in and, and took us over and, you know, has made real positive impact and change, even in this really short term that he's been involved with us. So, yeah, I think we're, we can use Friday as a as a bit of a celebration of our progress and and hopefully those last four or five league games that we've got coming up, we can continue to 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 demonstrate our resilience, I guess is probably yeah. how it. And in the future, Jay, should we know about what happened at Christmas time? Should there be more of a warning, perhaps? You've talked about players' mental health, physical health being affected. This this is really important stuff, and it also needs to be the case that that doesn't happen again at any other club. You, you, you're, you shouldn't have had to go through that misfortune, but we need to make sure, importantly, that it doesn't, doesn't happen to another club who, who might not have the resilience to bounce back from it. Do we need to understand more about that period of time in your club, do you think, when the time's right? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And I think it's it needs unpicking further. And I think it needs, and I am by no means blaming the FA for our situation. I think, you know, the owners that we had at the time clearly didn't, whether it didn't care enough or didn't plan well enough for our situation. I'm not quite sure at the moment, but I think somewhere somebody needed to, whether that was the FA putting stricter guidance in place or, you know, not necessarily hurdles for us to jump over, but, you know, check-ins with clubs or whether we as a club and our previous owners needed to hold their hands up earlier and say, actually, we are in a little bit of trouble and not be scared to be punished for being in trouble and actually ask for help because, you know, the first the world heard of us being in trouble, we were being liquidated, and then all of a sudden we're saved. But the people that were punished were the people that were left behind. Those previous owners have, for all intents and purposes, walked off into the sunset, nowhere to be seen, and will probably never be seen again by anybody at the club or answer any questions. And we were left with the aftermath mentally, physically, gathering everybody back together, rebuilding ourselves, rebuilding the club and then hit with 10 points. So we're punishing the wrong people, in my opinion. You know, the people that were completely blindsided by the actions of five individuals at board level were were just left, yeah, just left to to pick, pick themselves up. And I think that's the bit that I think frustrates me the most is that they're now the people that are, that are working the hardest to make sure the club stays at this level. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit about the situation there. And I'm sure in the next months or when the season finishes, that'll be a good time to have a look at that and dissect it even further. I appreciate now that your focus has got to be on getting to the end of the season and also, of course, more imminently coming up against Arsenal in the FA Cup. Congratulations for getting to that point in the FA Cup. Whatever happens and best of luck with the rest of the season. Keep fighting. Jay Bradford. Thank you. That was Kate speaking to Coventry United General Manager Jay Bradford. Best of luck to them at the weekend. That's all we have time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, Before we go and thank Claire Rafferty for her time, how do you fancy Coventry United's chances? So I think Coventry will will give a good battle. Uh, I think they'll be organised and compact and they'll be very aware of the threats that Arsenal holds. But I'm expecting Arsenal to find this game quite easy in the long run. It's a free hit, isn't it? They can just go for it. No expectations. Oh, come on, that's harsh. 
Oh, they can. That's a good thing. Take the pressure off yourselves. I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, Claire, it's been lovely to have you on and you'll be watching the situation at Chelsea closely as well. We look forward to getting you back on the show very soon. Thanks for having me. You can give us your thoughts, by the way, on the show on Twitter at The Athletic UK or at Offside Rule Pod. Don't forget to get your moments of the week in as well. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Rate, subscribe and leave a review. Uh, We're back again next week, aren't we, Lindsay? We are. And all it's doing from now until the end of the season, Kate, is getting busier and busier. So people don't want to miss us. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.